0: We'll be reading from verse 25 to the end of the chapter, but I'm going to just actually read right now verses 25 to 28, and then we'll drop down to verse 35, just as a way to introduction, and then we'll pray, and we'll get into it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no commandment from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one by whom the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Drop down to verse 35. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And Father, we pray that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit what it looks like to be undividedly devoted to you. We, 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 Lord, we know in our heads and we want our hearts and our lives to agree that you are worthy of our devotion. And we're thankful that, Lord, as we walk in obedience, it's not you who benefits from that obedience. It's not you who benefits from that devotion. It's we who benefit. And I pray, Lord, that you would use this time not just to bring clarity on this issue of singleness but, Lord, to teach us what it means to be wholly, undividedly devoted to you. Please, meet us here, we pray. We pray it in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says. Horror, prison, war. These are the themes of the top 50 movies that don't have romance in them. I looked it up. Top 50 movies that don't have romance in them. I was wondering how addicted to romantic love are we in our culture? And so I thought, I'll look at movies. I'm a movie guy. I thought this would be a good way to see. And as I scrolled down the list, two movies kind of caught my attention. Two of my favorites, if I'm being honest. One of them is called Saving Private Ryan. It's probably a really dodgy image if you can on the screen, Saving Private Ryan. I, I, these are my favorite movies. This is not me recommending these movies because I don't want you guys saying the pastor says movie's fine and then it's not clean enough for you. So I'm just kind of, <laughs> disclaimer there, okay? But Saving Private Ryan. It's, a, it's an amazing film, actually. And what's interesting to me about this, this is a bit of a spoiler alert, the movie ends with a grown-up Private Ryan looking at the graves of the soldiers who basically had died to make sure he was saved Weeping and looking at his wife and saying, "Tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I've lived a good life, feeling this unworthiness of, of having been saved." And it's interesting to me that in this movie that's supposed to be, on the top 10, non-romantic movies, still has to connect it back to this marriage relationship. When he needs comfort, who does he go to? Another one: the Shawshank Redemption. And in this movie, it's a story of a man who, basically it starts uh, with a story of a man who's been arrested, accused of murdering his wife and her lover. And without giving away that movie, you, you get a sense that not only is he unjustly arrested, but you also get a sense that he's looking for redemption. Why? Because he was incredibly in love with his wife, and she's unfaithful to him. So even then, gosh, romantic love gets tied back into it. And it's interesting to me because we do so exalt romantic love in our culture, in our mindset. We think, that's the ultimate. If I can find the one, then I'll be happy. And there's nothing wrong with this, really. In the sense that there's nothing wrong with us desiring to find the one. Nothing wrong with us exalting family. We saw a beautiful picture of families here. But as Jonathan so wisely said, it's not all as pretty as it looks. And we're in this place where we think, okay, how important should marriage and family be? And we've been talking a lot about marriage relationships. We've been talking about, a lot about sex in the last couple of weeks. And here Paul gets into this last section in this area, and he then wants to now address the single people. As he calls them here, the betrothed. Those who, who are maybe of younger marrying age but aren't yet married. Maybe they're even engaged. But they're not yet married. And he wants to address this topic. And it's really clear in the the beginning verses, as we read to you, that Paul's opinion is, you know what? It's probably better if you don't get married. And you think, why? Isn't that that interesting? Does that come to a shock to you, that the Bible would have in it an exhortation that it's probably better for you not to get married? Now, there's at least two engaged couples here that might be feeling a bit nervous right now. But there is something here that's important. That, that Paul wants us to recognize, that the, the Scriptures want us to recognize, that God wants us to recognize, something important about how we prioritize romantic relationships. What it should actually look like. What should frame these things. Interesting, Paul gives one of the reasons why he seems to be motivated to encourage singleness. He says in verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress it's good for a person to remain as he is. In other words, if you're already married, don't try to get divorced. If you're already single, don't try to get married. Just stay. What's this present distress? Different opinions about it. Here's what I think it is. I think he's just talking about how tough life is. Life's hard. And sometimes we think, if I find the one, it will be easier, but that's not necessarily true. You find the one and life, guess what, is still hard. Instead of one sinner trying to get through this broken life, you got two sinners trying to get through this broken life, sinning against each other. You throw kids into the mix, it gets even more complicated. And so Paul's kind of motive seems to be here, look, there's got to be some way that we're being wise about this. In fact, Paul's real motivation, though, really isn't about whether people are married or single. His real motivation is what we saw in verse 35. And that is, he wants to secure our undivided devotion to the Lord. He wants people who are, in the Corinthian culture, obsessed with sex. And even some who are in that culture, in rebellion against that obsession, are now obsessed with singleness. He wants these who are obsessed with their marital or relational status to think twice about this and think, here's what you want to really be dwelling on. If you want to be obsessed about something, be obsessed about Jesus, what it looks like to be undividedly devoted to Him. And so what we're going to look at, probably fairly quickly, what we're going to look at is, is really three ways... That Paul shows us what it looks like, how, how we are to walk in this undivided devotion, and how that has an impact on our relationship status. So we pick it up in verse 29, and here's what we read. Paul says, This is what I mean. He's going to explain it to us. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short, he says. Now drop down to verse 31. In the last sentence of verse 31, what does he say? He says, for the present form of this world is passing away. Now, I'm tying these two things together because this is what the context does, that Paul here is talking about a reality that, that he, he, in his mind, soon and very soon, the Lord Jesus is going to come back. And you need to recognize that all of the biblical writers, listen... All those who wrote Old Testament and New Testament wrote within view this, this mystery, especially the Old Testament, this mystery, becoming more of a revelation in the New Testament, but this reality of heaven and earth coming together. That that's God's goal for us. You see it in the Garden of Eden where, where God makes this paradise for Adam and Eve and he puts them there. And in this garden, in the created world, what's there? No sin. No sin. Who is there? Adam and Eve. And who else? God walking in their midst. Heaven and earth together. And this theme repeats itself. The whole tabernacle that God has Moses built, heaven and earth coming together. The temple that's eventually built, when the tabernacle gets to a permanent place in Jerusalem, heaven and earth coming together. The Lord Jesus himself, heaven and earth coming together. And so there's a reality here that Paul is writing in this this picture of, in view that this world that we live in right now, it's going to be made new. And this should have a huge impact in how we make decisions. Listen to this. This is the, the vision that John gets in the book of Revelation. He says, Uh, With them as their God, He will wipe away (coughs) every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for their former things have passed away. This is the world that we all want. This is the reality that all things are moving toward. And Paul says, this should impact, that coming in the future should impact now what we do in the present. That's the picture. And so Paul says, listen, here's the thing that I want you to think about. I want you to think about, listen, that this new world that we all want, this world that we're going to live in, this renewed world, listen, it comes through what Jesus provided in his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return. This is what we're longing for. This is what we're living for. And because of that, he says, this should impact our relationships now. Because this world's going to be renewed, listen, our relationship goals should be renewed. In light of what's coming, in light of our certain future, our relationship goals should be renewed. Look at verse 29 again. Paul writes, he says, uh, the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, he says, let those who have wives live as though they had none. He's not saying, go play the market. He's not saying, ignore your marital responsibilities. No, it's not that. He's saying, but recognize, listen, recognize that marriage cannot provide for you ultimate love. Only Jesus can you say, John, where do you get that? Well, l- listen to what Jesus says when he's calling us to discipleship in Luke chapter 14. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus doesn't call us to hate people. He calls us to recognize that the ultimate love that we're all searching for in these relationships, the ultimate love that this, these relationships can only foreshadow or only seen in him. They're only actually experienced and guaranteed in him. And so when Paul says, hey, well, I want you to live as if you're not married, he says, I want you to kind of recognize that this is not the ultimate. That your life isn't just about this. This is tough. This is hard to do. Now, some of you guys, your marriages ain't doing so great right now. And I'm not making light of that. Maybe it's just, it's just kind of flat. Maybe it's actually quite difficult or painful. And you're going, that sounds like good news to me. I don't have to live like I'm married. But that's not good news. Not in what you're thinking. What Paul's actually saying is, listen, here's what is good news. What you're not getting from your spouse, or even what you're not giving to your spouse, is available in Christ. And if you start living for Him, then you'll be in the place where you need to be. And this idea of our relational goals being renewed also carries on to what he goes on to say in verse 30. Notice what he says in verse 30. He says, he writes, And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And this is not Paul saying, I want you to all become stoics, where your emotions don't mean anything. That's not what he's saying. In fact, we, we know he's not saying this because of what Paul's written other times. What did Paul say about mourning and rejoicing in Romans? Listen to this. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Notice, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those that weep. Paul's saying, I'm not, Paul's not calling these guys to ignore the good and bad of life. He's not not talking about like that we just don't care if somebody's sad. We're not going to be sad. We don't care if someone's happy. We're not going to be happy. That's not what he's saying. What, What he's saying is this. Listen, as your relationship goals are renewed, here's what happens. You recognize that God is still over good and bad, and so you can put people's needs above your own. You can be in a season of mourning and still rejoice for a good that God's doing in someone's life. You can be in a season of rejoicing and lay that aside to mourn with someone that's hurting. Why? Because your relationship goals are renewed because you know you're heading to a world that's going to be renewed. Are you following me? But not just your relational goals. It's not just that. It's also our material goals. See, here's the reality. It's only when we realize that this is not our best life now, that we're living for a world to come. It's only then that we know that the best is yet to come. It's only then that we realize we're free to put other people first. And that includes about how we deal with our material goals. Look what he says in verse 30 again. In verse 30, second part of verse 30, he says, And those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. In other words, your business dealings, which are so important to you in a port city like Corinth where there's a lot of stuff going on and you can make a really good living, those priorities need to take back seats to what it means to living for the next world. Now this, again, is not Paul calling these guys to be financially irresponsible. It's Paul calling the Corinthians to say, listen, undivided devotion means this. It means that you say, okay, these responsibilities I have, these financial responsibilities to make money, to spend money well. All these things should be shaped by the best being yet to come, by the future that God has for us. That's what he's saying. Again, Jesus says something very similar. Listen. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How do we invest our time and talent in treasure to both demonstrate and proclaim the good news of Jesus and the world yet to come? That's what should be in the forefront of our minds. Now, at this point, if if you hear this, can I ask you just a real honest question? Does this seem kind of foreign to you? Or maybe just a little bit too radical? Do you know anybody who actually lives like this? Seriously, think about that. I want you to think about this. Do you or anybody you know actually live like this? Where, where, Where you're going, okay, You know, my relationship goals are different because I know heaven's what's waiting for me. Or or my material goals, they're different because I know what heaven is having for me. I know what Christ died to produce for me. Does anybody, you know, live this way? Because I'll be honest, I don't know very many people who do. And, And I have to say, as I was preparing, this is what was bothering me. I was really bothered by this. How often my decisions are based on my current relationships and how good they can be now. Or my decisions are based on my current finances and how best I can enjoy them or utilize them now. And they're not always shaped by the fact that the best is yet to come. And yet Paul, in this context of talking about married and singles, he's not just trying to say, okay, single people... All the single ladies, all the single ladies. He's not just saying that. He's saying, listen, cultural reference. <laughs> he's saying, listen, it's, all of us need to think about how are our lives undividedly devoted to Jesus? Because it should have a practical expression. Which brings us to the next bit. That devotion isn't just about devotion to, to the world that we all want, the world that we know that Christ has provided for us, this future that we're looking forward to. But it's also devotion to Him Himself, Christ Himself, a devotion to a Savior that we all need. Now, in, in verses 32 to 35, we're going to look at this, and I'm framing this with three questions because, again, I want us to kind of feel the challenge that Paul's bringing to the Corinthians. We need to feel the same challenge. So here's the first question Do you recognize the responsibility of marriage? Especially those of you who are maybe engaged or those of you who would like to be married, you're single but you'd like to be married in the future. Do you recognize the responsibility of marriage? Because listen to what Paul says. Paul says in verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things. Don't think worldly as in bad, think worldly as in here and now. That's what it means in this context. How to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried and betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the the Lord, how how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, again here and now things, how to please her husband. Do do you see what he's, he's doing here? Paul's laying out what it looks like to be married as believers that part of that is that we are careful, that's what the word anxious means, we're careful about how am I meeting the needs of my spouse. Being married as a Jesus follower is not just about sharing rent. It's not just about making all your dreams come true. It's about recognizing I'm meant to demonstrate the gospel by how I treat this person. Person, You ever think about the vows you make to God when you get married? So when we do uh, weddings here, um, when, I, when I'm going to officiate a wedding, we have to pre-approve the vows. So we, we're okay if people want to write some of their own vows. But if those vows don't have enough of the kind of historical, original vows that are actually Church of England vows, one of the good things the Church of England did, <laughs> uh, if they don't really have those vows or somehow incorporate some of those same kind of commitments, we go, no, no, you need to add some bits. Because people need to recognize, they're saying, God, this is the stuff that we are committing to you, and it's serious stuff. Till death do us part of serious stuff. In sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, that's serious stuff. Now, this is in no way me trying to condemn anyone here who's gone through the pain of Divorce. But it is about us recognizing that, that, that Paul wants the Corinthians to go, do you get the commitment you're entering into? It's a serious thing. Now reread the verses again. This commitment to saying, okay, I'm meant to demonstrate the gospel by a complete commitment to this other person. But here's the other option. I want you to be free from all anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of God about the things of the Lord how to please the Lord but the married man is anxious about worldly things how to please his wife and his interests are divided the unmarried or, or betrothed woman is anxious about the, the things of the Lord how to be holy in body and spirits but the married woman is anxious about worldly things how to please her husband C- can you see the standard that Paul's saying for us Paul said, listen, when you're single, you don't have any other distractions. You can be wholeheartedly t- t- committed to Christ. Again, does that sound like anybody you know who names the name of Jesus? Probably fewer than we like to admit. You see, the context here that Paul's really trying to drive home the Corinthians is, is that, do we get that the standard that, that Christ calls us to, the standard that Christ died to bring us into, is one of, Lord, I'm Yours. Does that sound like Western Christianity to you? Has that been your experience so far? It's pretty radical, isn't it? And if we don't see how radical this is, this call to being belonging to Jesus first and foremost, the marriage, or be, stay married, don't get married, stay single, don't get, you know, get married later on, those kind of decisions you missed the whole context. Because this isn't about what's, more, what's better or what's more holy. This is about, listen, it's about saying, God has called me to, Jesus has saved me to an undivided devotion. How does this work? Which brings us to the last question based on verse 35. We have to answer. First we answer of course: do we recognize the responsibility of marriage? Do we long to pre- please Jesus? Is that our heart? But also, Which enables you to most enjoy Jesus, being married or being single? This is a question you have to answer as an individual. Now, when I was, uh, uh, I think I just got engaged. Sarah and I had just got engaged. And I was talking to the assistant, the guy who was one of the pastors at the the church we were going to, he was doing our marriage prep stuff. And I went to him and I said to him, you know, I'm feeling really nervous. I'm not really sure if I'm supposed to marry Sarah. I don't know. I'm supposed to be married to Sarah. I think I'm supposed to be married someday. I don't think I'm called to be single, but I'm not sure I'm supposed to be married to Sarah. Because there's one way to find out: marry her, and you'll know it's God's will for you to be married to Sarah. And I'm like, (laughs) wait. So I called this bluff, and I married her. Best decision ever. Second best decision ever made. One of the worst decisions Sarah's ever made, but that's. That's right. There's this reality, listen, there's this reality that, that Paul's getting at that, that, as we'll see in a minute, marriage is for life. It's a permanent thing. But the question, the thing I was wrestling with when I said I'm not sure if I'm supposed to marry Sarah was, if I was honest, I didn't say it this way, but what I was really feeling, and you guys know what I'm saying because you've done the same thing, whether you're married or single, you've done the same thing, you were thinking, is there someone better out there? In Sarah's case, yes, there was someone better out there. My case, probably not. Was there someone better out there? Because we tend to look at marriage as, this is what's going to make my life have meaning and purpose. And it doesn't work that way. We have to ask the question, how can we most enjoy Jesus? Look at what Paul says in verse 35. He says, for I say this for your own benefit. Paul says, I I want you to benefit from this. I'm calling you to this undivided devotion. I'm I'm calling you to think through what it means to be married or single for your benefit. I want you to benefit. He says, not to lay any restraint upon you. In other words, I'm not trying to say, no, don't get married. Nor am I trying to say, yes, hurry up, go get married. He's saying, that's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is this, listen. Promote good order. Make sure that you guys who are married treat marriage the way God wants you to treat marriage. And those who are single are okay with that singleness so that you can listen to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord that's his whole motivation so think about this do you see marriage as a way to honor Jesus with your sexuality serious question do you see marriage as that way because that's one of God's intentions Do you see marriage as a way to know Jesus as you lay down your life for your partner? Do you see marriage as a way to multiply your efforts to to make Jesus known? If you're like, yes, 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 then get married. Great. Good. It's a good thing. If the opportunity arises, get married. It's totally cool a good thing Paul says but if you're single here's this do you see singleness as a way to honor Jesus with your sexuality wait a second didn't you just say haven't they been saying for two weeks John you can't have sex outside of marriage and now you're saying how I can honor Jesus as a single person with my sexuality yes you honor Jesus as a single person with your sexuality by abstaining from sex by saying Lord as much as I maybe would have that desire if you have that desire I want you more. You're more important to me than my sexuality. There's a crazy idea. Do you see singleness as a way to honor Jesus with your sexuality? Listen, do you see singleness as a way to experience His love more and to pursue a multiplicity of gospel-centered relationships? Sarah and I have a great marriage. Super thankful for Sarah. In prep, I was telling her this as we were driving home the other night, just saying, I've really enjoyed the prep because I am super thankful to be married to you, babe. You're great. But here's the reality. Being married together, we need to invest in that relationship. And sometimes that means we can't invest in other relationships that we'd like to. It's, it's a, it takes planning for us to spend time with friends and not, be, not friends who are couples. It, it's, it's a lot. It's work when I was a single guy when I was interning at the church back in the day years ago I could just kind of do whatever I wanted I didn't have anybody to answer to or consider I could do what I wanted now it's tricky and that was even more tricky when we had all the kids at home but then when you're single you have a freedom to have a multiplicity of gospel centered relationships do you believe being single frees up your time and your talent and your treasure for the kingdom if that's what you think, guess what? Stay single. You're in a good place. Now, I know singles hate this kind of message. Being single means you're more productive for the kingdom, so stay single. Easy for you to say, John, Mr. Happily Buried. <laughs> but, but here's the reality. Whether you're married or you're single... The motivation should be undivided devotion to Jesus. Are you following me? And we who are married do a disservice to those who are single when we act like, and sometimes we're faking it, which is really odd, but we act like, oh, our relationship is the ultimate. Is it? Because what does that say about your relationship with Jesus? As great as Sarah is, she does not love me anywhere near as much as Jesus does. And as great as Sarah is, the greatest thing about Sarah is our ability to seek the Lord together. Now here's the reality. We have to ask this question. What enables you to most enjoy Jesus? And if your marriage isn't about you learning to enjoy Jesus more, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Do you understand? You're doing it wrong. Which brings us really to the last bit, okay? Because, well, well, let me read this verse. This is what John, uh, John writes in 1 John chapter 4. He says, And this is love. Notice in this context here, nothing about marriage, nothing about sex. And this is love, not that we've loved God, but that He has loved us and has sent His Son to be the propitiation, that's the sacrifice for our sins. Uh, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We don't equate this to a marriage verse, but this is a marriage verse. This is is what marriage ought to demonstrate. The Lord sacrificed for us, we're going to sacrifice for each other. This is why, listen, even in a bad marriage, even in a sexless marriage, which isn't God's will, by the way, there might be times and seasons when that's the case, but it's not God's will. Adam talked about that last week. But even in a bad marriage, Christ can still be glorified if we're seeking to sacrifice for the other. But Paul's not saying that the only relationship that matters is you and Jesus. That's not what he's saying. Because the devotion that he's calling us to, this undivided devotion, is devotion in the kinds of relationships that all of us crave. There's a world that we all want that we're on our way to, but there's also relationships that we all want that we think that we're going to find in marriage. Let's talk about that. Verse 36. If anyone thinks that he is, behaving, uh, is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry. It is no sin. So let's just be really blunt. It's right there in the notes. Okay, just in case you're misunderstanding, Paul's saying if you desire sexual, sexual intimacy within marriage, that's a good thing. Totally cool. That's great. Listen, there is no shame in God-given sexual desire. None. There's no shame in it. Now, we pervert sexual desire, every single one of us. The only person who hasn't perverted sexual desire is Jesus. But there's no shame in sexual desire. None. And marriage between one man and one woman in life is the proper place for it. So you know what the idea is? Marriage. Married people should enjoy sex. If you're married... And there's no physical reason why you can't be intimate. You should be intimate and enjoy it. It glorifies God. God is pleased with it. It's a good thing. But what does he say in verse 37? He says, But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So the idea here seems to be like if you've been engaged for a long time, remember in the, in the first century, they had long engagements, not because they were, had serial dating and had, were looking for someone better or just trying to raise money to get married. They just had long engagements. They were often arranged marriages when the, the people were quite young, and then they got married when they felt like they were ready to get married. Okay? And they would get to know each other during that engagement. And in Jewish context, even, you had to get a divorce to, to end that engagement. It was, it was a serious thing. And so Paul's kind of thinking about some of these people who are like, have been engaged for a long time. And maybe they're thinking, you know, I would, I would probably like to get married, but it's not that really that big a deal to me. They really want to get married? And so he's addressing them. And he's saying, if you feel like you don't need to, and you say, you know what? I'm not going to go ahead and and, and get engaged here. He says, you're doing well. Verse 38, he says, So then he who marries his betrothed as well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. In other words, desiring sexual intimacy in marriage, good thing. Enjoying celibacy without marriage, even better. Now, again, Adam dealt with last week, didn't he, that in marriage there shouldn't be celibacy. In marriage, except for times of prayer and fasting, there should be intimacy. But the reality is this. Listen, there's no shame in being single. You're not a second-class citizen as a single person. In the kingdom of God, you're not a second-class citizen. In fact, listen, if you're a single person, who is is obediently staying celibate, you need to know something. You're doing what Jesus did. You're choosing a life without sex. That's a glorious thing. God's honored in that. The issue is, he says in verse 39 and 40, is we need to use this liberty, this liberty to, I can be single or I can be married. We need to use this wisely. Listen. Paul writes, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. Here's the first standard. Marriage is for life. Even when it's less than satisfying. I know this is hard. Because some of you guys are in marriages that are less than satisfying. And some of you guys have been through divorce. And it's horrible. But this is still the standard that God holds. If you're married and you're struggling, please, please talk to us. We really want to help. And I can tell you this, hand on heart, the gospel gives you the help that you need. We can walk you through this. I, I've known couples who, who have said, it's over, it's not going to go. And Jesus comes into that marriage and keeps them together. And he brings them to a place where they are thankful that they stayed together. God can do this. But that is the standard. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. In other words, there is this idea that marriage is for life. He says, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Well, this is the second standard that we need to recognize. If we're going to use our liberty, we have to use it within these confines, right? Marriage is believer to believer. In other words, if you claim Jesus as your Savior, you need to marry someone who also follows Jesus. This is why when people at Servants want to get really involved in ministry, and uh, I'm not saying just attend, but they think we want to do something up front. We want to sing on the team. We want to teach Sunday school. If we find out that they're dating someone who's not a Christian, we talk to them. Because it's not like we say that, look, like, the Bible says you can't date an unchristian christian because the Bible doesn't say anything about dating. But the Bible is really clear about marrying someone who's not a Christian. And it's just crazy unwise to date someone who's not a follower of Jesus if you're a follower of Jesus. Because that is the standard. Now, if you become a Christian after you're married, that's a different issue. Again, we we looked at that last week. But that's still the standard. But also notice what he says in verse 40. Paul says, Yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. No, why is he saying this? Paul's making, he's making it clear. He's not trying to put, as he said earlier in verse 35, a restraint on people. He's not trying to put some burden on somebody. What he's trying to say is, listen, listen, this is a, there's a liberty issue, there's is a decision you have to make, and where the Scriptures are silent, the Spirit will speak. God's Spirit will make it clear to you what you're supposed to do. If you're an engaged couple, seek the Lord and say, God, we just want to make sure this is the right thing. We really want to make sure this is the right thing. Now, the engaged couples, at least one of the engaged couples here, I know is is thinking through this pretty hard. So I'm pretty confident they're they're doing okay. But maybe the other one that I don't don't know as well, I don't know if you thought through this really well. And maybe some of you guys are engaged I don't know about, and you need to think about this a bit more carefully. Or maybe you are dating someone who's not a believer, and you need to think, seriously, is this a good idea? Because, yeah, I can't point to a verse, but what would the Holy Spirit say to you right now? And for you who are married in those bad marriages, guess what? The Scripture has lots to say to you. The Holy Spirit can show you how it works. The issue always is, do you want to live in this undivided devotion to Jesus? we look at the movie Saving Private Ryan and there's all these soldiers who give a command to find this guy named Private Ryan because he had two brothers I think it was who were also killed in action until they give the movie away. (laughs) And so that when they find him to find him, to rescue him costs the lives of several other soldiers. And they're doing this for someone they don't even know. They're obeying orders to save someone they don't even know. They're devoted to this army that they've committed to, to save someone they don't know. How much more... Should we be devoted to the one who, out of obedience to the Father, but also love for the Father and love for us, pursued us and died to save us? In the movie The Shawshank Redemption, the main character, Andy, literally digs his way out of prison with a spoon. He's devoted to find the freedom that he knows he has to get and to do it in such a way that all the junk that's happened to him, all the injustice, is somehow redeemed. And it's a movie. It doesn't really happen in real life. People rarely escape from prison. And people get busted and unjustly judged all the time. But if he's devoted in that that story, how much more should we be devoted to the God whose pierced history who lived a perfect life on our behalf, who died a substitute death on our behalf, who rose from the dead, who ascended to heaven, who seated at the right hand of the Father, who gives us that perfect position as we're seated in Christ. How much more should we be devoted to Him who's devoted to us? And how should that impact your relationship status? How should it set it free? For you guys who are married and for you guys who are single, what you desire, I know what it is because it's the same thing I desire. You just want to know real love. It's not in marriage. It's in Jesus. It's in Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would bring this fresh revelation of real love to our hearts. That, Lord, we would be desirous of something more than just romantic love, something more than just a good married life or a family life, Lord, that we would desire you because, Lord, you are so committed to us. Teach us to be devoted to you. Teach us to trust you, Lord. And I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, that they would be at least intrigued by the kind of God you must be for people to be this devoted to you. Please, Lord, we pray that you would do this work. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.